Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom. If you have ever studied physics or taken a ride in a New York subway, then you are familiar with Newton's first law of inertia. First published in 1687, Newton dramatically altered our understanding of physics when he wrote, an object at rest remains at rest and an object in motion remains in motion at a constant speed and in a straight line unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Newton's law explains why when you're on a subway, you feel that you're standing still because you're moving at the same speed as a subway car in which you're standing. When the subway stops, however, you fall forward The braking subway being that unbalanced force that prompts your body to jerk forward at the speed you were going, unless, of course, you were smart enough to hold on to the metal bar. So, too, when the subway starts up again, it's a force of the subway's forward momentum that yanks you backwards from your inertia. Even if one doesn't totally understand Newton's law, because of our lived lives in subways, cars, planes, elevators, moving walkways, and otherwise, we get the basic gist of it. When things, why things stay still, if still, keep moving, if moving, and all the things that happen when an inert object is acted upon by another force. An elegantly stated law explaining how things move and don't move in the physical universe. Now, I'll be the first to admit that science has never been my thing. I doubt that I've made reference to the laws of physics more than a handful of times in all my years. But metaphysics, that branch of philosophy that deals with abstract concepts such as being, knowing, identity, time, and all the other aspects of reality, well, that is more up my alley. I'm reminded of the line from Annie Hall of Alvey being thrown out of college for cheating on a metaphysics exam. He looked into the soul of the boy sitting next to him. This morning, My question isn't about physics, about going from point A to point B in space, but about going from point A to point B in time, from today to tomorrow to the day after that, and the effects that that journey has on us, the passengers in this temporal subway of life in which we travel. Let me state it a bit more simply. In this world, there are very few things that we can be assured of, the passage of time being one of them. As a proverb says, time and tide wait for no one. Yesterday is followed by today, which will be followed by tomorrow. We may not physically move. We can spend the entire week in our pajamas at home and on the couch, but the moving walkway of time that will move forward. There is no stopping it. 
We know because we know our laws from Newton that in the spatial universe, an object in motion remains in motion. But what about in the temporal universe? If the subway of time is constantly moving forward, what are the laws about us, the folk who live in the midst of the inexorable forward tug of time? And here, to continue the language of Newton, the power of inertia cannot be overstated. As human beings, we get that tomorrow will be different than today. The fact of the passing of time is neither interesting nor debatable. But as human beings, we also don't move at that same pace. Or to be more precise, we do, but we would deny the fact that we do. We tell ourselves that the pace of the passage of time isn't uniform for everyone, that our individual lives are not subject to it, or that we can somehow manipulate it, slow it, or stop it. These weeks are the weeks of graduations. Mazel tov to all the graduates and their parents, myself included. We look at our kids in their caps and gowns, in their prom dresses, and we marvel at the passage of time, commenting to each other about how fast it all went by. And we linger in the moment, wishing it to stay, playing back the montage of memory again and again, and then feeling the pull of time tugging forward, we dig in our heels into our present. We know that this time next year, next week, next month, things will be different. It's unavoidable. So the power of inertia is strong. It's overwhelming. I like it here. I know my surroundings. I know these people and they know me. It's not just graduation. It's every stage of life. The human tendency to live in avoidance of the one thing we cannot avoid, the future. Our inertia takes on many expressions. When faced with the unknown, we become inflexible, intractable, and intransigent. We avoid making consequential decisions about our circumstances, believing that somehow we're exempt from a law of the universe. It's human. It's not rocket science. It's natural to fear the future. Tomorrow is so complicated and so risky. There are more known, unknowns than knowns about what the future will bring. It's disorienting, disconcerting, and sometimes downright distressing to imagine living in a world presently not being experienced today. And so we do the one thing we can do. We dig in. We take shelter in inertia. We tell ourselves that the ground isn't shifting from beneath us. We perseverate on the past. We try to elongate the present. We refuse to plan for the future. We refuse to get on that subway, that elevator, or whatever it is that is meant to take us to a new place. We would rather do anything and everything except the one thing that we should be doing, taking the necessary steps to greet our future in strength. This tendency towards inertia in the face of the unavoidable passage of time is, I believe, the root cause of ancient Israel's failure to complete their wilderness wanderings. With the drama of the Exodus, Mount Sinai, and the building of the tabernacle behind them, the Israelites are en route to their hoped-for promised land, and our Torah reading, as we learn today, begins full of hope, a census being taken in anticipation and preparation for all that's to come. But in the weeks ahead, we know what will happen. We know the bottom will fall out. 
First, the Israelites complain about the manna, the food provided to them by God. Then Miriam and Aaron criticize both Moses' choice of spouse and his leadership. Soon thereafter, the 12 spies are sent out to scout out the land, and 10 of them return with reports that the land cannot be conquered. Immediately after that, Korach and his followers lead an open rebellion against Moses until finally Moses' frustrations burst forth and he strikes the rock, resulting in he himself being barred from entering the land. This book in Hebrew, Bamidbar, meaning in the desert, is far more than a travelogue through a physical wilderness, but it's a temporal and a spiritual one as well. As slaves in Egypt, the Israelites were locked into a cycle of time. One day melted into the next, one year into the next, one generation into the next. The desert was new territory. The Egyptian past was behind, but the future had yet to be written. Once the thrill of liberation and Mount Sinai had subsided, I imagine that the prospect of an unknown future was altogether daunting for the Israelites. The complaints about Moses, the complaints about manna, the report of the spies, these are all expressions of fear, assertions of inertia, a people's decision to spurn the future that's been promised to them. And as they dig in, the tricks of memory begin to emerge. The Israelites long to return to Egypt, creating alternative memories of their past, remembering not the taskmasters and the harsh labors, but rather the plentiful fish, the cucumbers and the melons, all those things which, whether or not they actually existed, are now remembered as more desirable than their present drudgery. To paraphrase the Bible scholar, Dr. Adrian Levine, it was because of Israel's failure to grab hold of God's plans that their present became colonized by memories of their Egyptian past, obstructing their future promise, a process of self-doubt, of self-deception, and self-sabotage that we know eventually will result in the entire generation of Exodus, save Joshua and Caleb being barred from entering the promised land. The failure of the desert generation rings true for us not just because it's a narrative about our biblical predecessors, but because it's a window into our shared condition dating back to the very beginning. When Adam and Eve left the garden, when Noah disembarked from the ark following the flood, when Rachel and Leah fled their father's house as Jacob did his, or when Joseph was forced out of his, all of our patriarchs and matriarchs face the anxiety of meeting an unknown future. Some of them, like Lot's wife, who turned backwards and was turned to salt, or the wilderness generation about whom we're reading today, face catastrophic fates due to their inability to transcend their inertia. Only one of them, Abraham, sets out sight unseen to a new land and new future, probably why he's the aspirational, but not necessarily attainable, paradigm and founding father of our faith. But most of them, like Jacob, like Rebecca, like Ruth, like Esther, like Jonah, like most of us, harbor doubts and hesitation along the way, midnight wrestlings of one kind or another. Even Moses wavers at the burning bush, which is why God, when asked for the divine name, answers, Asher I will be that which I will be. 
God was telling a self-doubting Moses and by extension all of us that the spark of the divine within every human is rendered most evident when we are willing to become something we are presently not. It is human to be scared. It is human to let our anxiety regarding the future prompt us to long for an irretrievable past. What is heroic is our willingness to step onto that moving walkway and meet the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead. In the spirit of the season, I'm reminded of the story of a university alumnus who was invited back to campus years after graduation and given the chance to meet the university president. As she was introduced to the now elderly president, she took him aside and said, sir, I'm gonna forever be grateful to you for the words you send to me, said to me on my graduation day as you handed me my diploma. Over the course of my life, there have been ups and downs, but thank God things have turned out well for me, but in the dark moments, it was the wisdom you shared with me on that graduation day that has sustained me throughout. And the university president was at a loss. He turned to the woman and said, I'm humbled by your kindness, but I presided over decades of graduations, handing out more diplomas to more people than I can count. I don't remember, please tell me, what was it that I said to you? And the woman looked at him and said, you said to me, keep moving. <laughs> Friends, if there is a headline to our moment, it is that the landscape is changing from beneath us and we have to keep moving. As a synagogue, we're making plans for the future during a time when none of us really know what to expect. All of us have been humbled by the last two years and we're just kind of doing our best and scenario planning for all that we don't know. As citizens, we see the tectonic shifts in our social, economic, environmental, and political realities. Most indicators getting worse, not better, none of them particularly clear. And as parents, we sense the anxiety of our children thinking about their futures. I feel it myself. I feel I'm standing there on the subway platform, my daughter gripping my hand as I grip hers, waiting for that train to arrive, a shared panic knowing that on this particular train, unlike the others that have come before, she's gonna be getting on it without me. And we watch the subway clock count down the minutes and our pulses quicken and our stomachs turn at the knowledge that she is meant to step off that platform and onto the train and into the unknown. It's so nice here. I know it here. And there is far more about the future that I don't know, that we all don't know, than we do know. But what we do know is this. Time is moving forward and we have to keep pace with it. We all face a choice. We can move forward, anticipate and plan as best we can, realizing a shared future for us, our families and our community, or we can freeze up. We can stay tethered to imagined bygone days and hold fast to a reality whose time has long since passed. Given that choice, given the divine spark bequeathed to us by our creator, we let go of our grip, whispering to ourselves 
and to each other. I will be that which I will be. We will be that which we will be. We keep moving. She takes a step off the platform and onto the train, just as she has bravely done before, greeting the future in strength, en route to reaching the promised land. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.